What do you suppose you would see if you did a Google search on the word Easter for images? A Google image search. Now, don't look. Don't look. Just, just guess. Imagine in your head what you... Because I did this. I wondered what I would find if I did a Google image search for Easter. And I got this. Is this prob about what you would expect? I don't know how many pages of images you have to search before you find something that is remotely Christian. But at least on the first page that came up, it's bunnies and eggs and jelly beans. Now, I'm no fuddy-duddy. I, I, I love the Easter egg hunts. We do one here on Palm Sunday. You know, we go visit Santa Claus. Uh, we do a trick-or-treat outreach here at, on, on uh, trick-or-treat night. And it's always a big deal, fills the building up. So I'm no fuddy-duddy when it comes to cultural appropriations of the holidays, okay? But, man, do you ever wonder what the heck is going on? Right? But then I think a little bit further along this, this line of, uh, of thinking, and I, and I come to the different conclusion. I actually think, you know, it's probably a good thing. It's probably a good thing that we don't expect a non-Christian culture to use our Christian um, images and stories and icons or whatever words you want to use for that stuff. You know, it would it would probably be disastrous. Can you imagine what it would look like if we looked to the non-Christian culture to help us celebrate the meaning of Easter? Think about that for a second. What would that look like? I mean, it would have to sell, right? It would have to be profitable, right? It would have to. What if Jesus were hip and trending? I mean, what would it look like? Would it look like this? Probably. What about this? Chocolate, Jesus? He's got a bite taken out of his head. I mean, how... Is that what we want? Seriously? Do I have another one? I can't remember. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. But yet... Okay, we can move on. I've come to realize it wouldn't do anything to advance the cause of the kingdom of Christ if we look to, non, to the non-Christian world to teach us about Christian things. Thank God for that. What would happen, though, if we did? What would happen if we did? Because some people are really adamant about that. Like, we're going to use politics or something. Or, or do you remember when the, the, the president even promised folks uh, they're going to be saying Merry Christmas again? Remember that? And, and people loved it. That's a dangerous road to go down. That's a dangerous thing to be excited by. Because what, would, well, what, are, what are we really asking for when we want a non-Christian culture to look Christianly? What would be the result of that? What would be the result? I'll tell you what would be the result of that. It would cause, it would cause, uh, go ahead. It would cause non-Christians to think that they're Christians. Because pff, to all they know, they look just like Christians. They act like Christians. They put the right 
posters up at the right seasons? What else? It would cause the church to think she's done her job when it comes to evangelism because, hey, look, all my neighbors put up Christmas lights. That must mean they're looking forward to the second coming or something. I don't know what Christmas lights really mean, but what else? Cause a decrease in true spirituality because, hey, I've got this Jesus thing, right? So why do I need to study my Bible? Why do I need to meet and 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 in and, and, and Bible studies? Or why do I need to go to church? Why do I need to uh, fast and pray, for goodness sakes? I got this, right? It would cause a decrease in true spirituality. What else? What else? Do I have another one? Oh, yeah, it would cause Christian people to use the church. This is perhaps the most offensive one. If you were a little bit offended with Easter Bunny Jesus, this is actually a lot worse. This is actually a lot worse, and it happens all the time when non-Christian people use a church to get married. Or to have funerals. What is that saying? What is that saying about the God-given institution of marriage? It's cheapening it, isn't it? It's cheapening it. It's cutting the legs right out from under it. And what is it saying about the sacred moment of death and passing into the next world? What is it saying? Is it, is it saying to the world that, well, everybody, if you have your funeral in the church, you must be going to heaven? Is that what that's saying? So you see, I'm glad. I thank God for the Easter Bunny. I really do. I thank God for the Easter Bunny because if the non-Christian world tried to do a Christian Easter, they would screw it up. And they would cheapen it, they would degrade it, and it would be, it would be bad. So you should thank God for the Easter Bunny too. Now on the other hand, there is a downside. Because we don't have many Christian-y uh, symbols, pictures, and customs in our culture today... More and more people don't know the story of Christianity. I was talking not long ago with a couple uh, who were in their 30s, maybe late 20s, and they literally did not know that Christians believe that a dead man came back to life. They didn't know that. How common do you think that is these days? I'll bet you it's more common than you think. I bet you it's more common than you think. But I don't despair over that either. I actually think that's a good thing too. Not that people don't know, but I think it provides us with a great opportunity. It provides the gospel, it provides Jesus with a great opportunity. Because now, when the good news comes to them, when they find out what Jesus did, what Christianity is really all about, it's... It smacks them in the face. It's like news. It's right. It's like news. It's a news flash. It's actually news. It's good news, which is what gospel means. It kind of reclaims some of its power. The church has never thrived. The church has never thrived when it's been the majority culture. Never happened. But make no mistake, Jesus is on the move in this, your culture today. In a very powerful way. And so I hope many of you are here maybe because somebody dragged you here today. Maybe you're here because it's what you do on Easter. But my hope is that you're here because somewhere in your spirit you just know that there is more to this holiday than bunnies and eggs. And that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to talk about in the few moments that we have together today. Bunnies and eggs. Isn't that silly, by the way? Think about it. 
God becomes a human. I mean, just let that sink in for a second first, that, that, right? That thought alone. God becomes a human. Dies. Dies. God dies nailed to a cross. Bearing the punishment of the sin of the world, the punishment that you and I deserve. This man died, and then this man came back to life. Now, if that news makes you yawn and bunnies and eggs get you excited, I don't know what to tell you. I can't do anything for you. Our news is so much greater than any of the celebrations that the culture can put on. They think they got something with eggs falling out of helicopters. Big whoop. We got a God who died for us and came back to life. Somebody say amen or hallelujah or something, right? So how are we going to get, what are we going to get excited about? That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to go to the scriptures. We're going to read several scriptures today. The first one I'm going to read from comes from a passage from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah talked about the Savior that was going to come to Israel, but he talked about it 750 years before Jesus was born. Let's pray and then let's go to the scriptures and see what Isaiah has to say. Would you bow your hearts with me, please? God, we pray for ears to hear your truth, for eyes, Lord, to see who you really are. Maybe some of us for the first time, maybe some of us for the thousandth time. Nevertheless, nobody needs a refresher on the gospel more than anybody else. We all need it. So God, please move our hearts with the power of this story of the resurrection. Draw us close to you and cause us to praise your name. Glory, hallelujah. Amen and amen. Isaiah writes this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Second passage was written by the Apostle Paul to a young church in a city called Colossae. Paul writes, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that means unchanged hearts, what he means by that. God made alive together with him, having forgiven 
all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, that is, in Jesus, in what Jesus did on the cross. It's a funny way to triumph, isn't it, to die the death of a criminal. But that is how God defeats evil. Now, because of Easter, I want to say two things that we can take with us today. Two implications you can put in your pocket. You can write it on your notes page, put it in your pocket, take it with you today. Talk about it over brunch or maybe before you go to bed tonight. The first one is that because of Easter, my past is behind me. And that's a great thing. Anybody in here ever mess up? Anybody? It's okay. We can do show of hands, right? Anybody ever mess up on purpose? We call that sinning. Anybody ever know what was right and do the wrong thing anyways? Anybody ever do that? Anybody ever know what you ought to do and not do it anyways? Anybody ever do that? Yeah? A few of you are like me. You're all like me. Come on, I know it. You're all like me. Well, guess what? East, because of Easter, because the tomb is empty, your past, if you are in Christ, is behind you. It's gone. It's out of there. Now, there's two mistakes. I often hear, I hear these two mistakes made when it comes to talking about sin in the gospel. I hear these two mistakes made all the time, and we want to avoid them, okay? We want to avoid them. The first mistake is saying, oh, I'm not that bad. The first mistake is to cheapen my sin. You can jot that down. Don't do that. But people do it all the time. Oh, I'm not that bad. I'm surely not as bad as that person over there. Could God really punish somebody as, 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 as friendly and as nice and as generous and as magnanimous and all that as me? I mean, just ask my friends. I'm a great guy, right? But see, you're asking the question in the wrong way. The question is not to be asked, have I avoided being bad enough? Because you know what? You will always find somebody who's been badder than you. Always. There's always somebody who's been worse than you, or who is worse than you. That's easy. That's not hard. So, the, so long as the, you're trying to avoid being too bad, well then, you're, all, you're, you're always going to find a justification. You're always going to find a reason why you're not so bad. That's not what this is about. The question is, have I been good enough? Good enough for what now? Have I been good enough to sit at the side of Jesus, the King of Heaven, and rule with Him over His new creation and His new earth? His new heaven and His new earth. Have I been good enough for that honor? I used this example a couple years ago. But I think it's a good one. It's a good visual. I need a couple of volunteers. Penelope, come up here. Chandler, come up here. One of you right here. One of you right here. Okay? Now, on the count of three, I want you to reach up into the sky as high as you possibly can. Are you ready? One, two, three. Reach! Stretch as high as you possibly can. Congregation, who is taller? 
Chandler is taller by far. Give Chandler, just stay there. Give Chandler a round of applause because, man, this guy is tall. He's so tall. He can reach, change light bulbs. He can reach up top shelves that we can't reach. Penelope's got to get little chairs and stools or she's got to ask for help because she's just short, right? She's short. Poor Penelope. Now, put raise, stretch up again. One, two, three, stretch. Reach high in the sky again. What if the objective is to touch the moon? Now, Chandler, are you closer to touching the moon than Penelope? Unless it's on this side of the earth right now. I'm not quite sure. But yes, Chandler is indubitably closer to touching the moon than Penelope, right? Right? Everybody agree? Shake your heads. Yes, yes, yes. Does it matter? Is Chandler close to touching the moon? Okay. Thank you very much. You can have a seat. This is a picture of how far we are from the Lord because of our sin. How far we've pushed him away. The question is not, can I avoid being bad enough? The question is, am I deserving of the honor of living forever with God? And no, you're not, because the the only thing that Jesus is content to be in your life is king. Number one, God. And unless... He is always the most important thing in your life unless you actually succeed in what Jesus called the greatest commandment, which was love the Lord your God with all your heart. With how much of it? All. Anybody succeed in that? Unless you've succeeded, then you are not good enough. You are not good enough. You know, Now, what else might you say? Might you say, oh, come on. Well, he set me up for failure because nobody's perfect, Pastor. God set me up for failure. He knew I was going to fail. To that I would respond, show me one sin that you have committed that you had to commit. Is there one sin that you have ever committed that you had to commit. Of course not. You see, you are on the hook for your sin. Not God. Sin is that big of a deal. The text that I just read from Colossians, it didn't say all of you who were struggling with sin. It didn't say all of you who need to be a little bit nicer, a little bit more polite. It said all of you who were dead God has made alive in Christ. Similarly, Isaiah, he doesn't say that the Son of Man would be smacked on the wrist. He says he was pierced. He was crushed. If your sin isn't a big deal, do you realize? If your sin isn't absolutely lethal, do you understand that you should mock Easter, not celebrate it? if your sin isn't that big of a deal. Because it was unnecessary. It was unnecessary for the Son of God to do what he did, to go through what he did, to bear the weight of your sin, if your sin is not that big of a deal. 
cheapening sin is the first mistake to avoid when it comes to seeing our past as behind us. The second mistake is the, goes the opposite end of the spectrum, and that is to cheapen the cross. That is to say, my sin is too great. I have sinned too much, too big, or for too long. That's good if this is you, if this is the direction that you lean toward. It is good that you have come to grieve over your sin and realize that it's a big deal. Of course, that is good. You are not far from the kingdom of heaven. However, however, something happens to you, doesn't it? You keep remembering those things that you've done, those things that you are ashamed of, those people you have hurt, the damages that are, you cannot undo. You remember the person you used to be, and maybe you even hate yourself. If that's not too strong of a word, for some of you it's not. You know that feeling. And you disbelieve the gospel. You disbelieve the gospel. Yes, I know that Christ died to forgive sinners, but my sin is just too much for him to bear. It's too much for him to forgive. Or I know he forgave me the first time, But then I did it again and again and again. Surely I've gone too far this time. I'm here to tell you that is not possible. And here again, God would not suffer the death of God's Son only to see you throw the gift away in a moment of moral weakness. The power of the gospel is that Christ bled and died, and while he was doing that, he prayed, Father, forgive them. Forgive who? Forgive who was he praying for at that moment? His executioners, the people who gave false testimony about him. And you think he won't forgive? You think he didn't know that you were going to backslide, fall into sin again? Of course he knew every sin you were ever going to commit. And he stayed on the cross anyways. You have not outsinned God's grace. You cannot outsin God's grace. You just can't do it. One way to say that is you just aren't that special. Or your sin isn't all that special. You think he hasn't seen that before? Of course you're forgiven. If you've put your trust in Jesus. Now the second implication I want to leave you with. Is the first one was because of Easter my past is behind me. Now because of Easter my future, your future is incredible. Because of Easter my future is incredible. A couple more scriptures. Again I'm going to go back to Isaiah now. Follow along. I'm in Isaiah 9. Back to the beginning of the book of Isaiah. Listen to what he says. Of the increase talking about the Messiah again, the Savior that's coming, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. No end. To establish it and to uphold it. What's he talking about the throne of David? That's the throne, that's the kingship of Israel, right? God was going to bring his king, promised for years and years and years, he's going to bring his king through Israel, through the line of David. So he says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. We could use a little bit of that in this world today. From this time forth and how long? Forevermore. And then how sure are we that this will happen? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will 
do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will make sure that this happens. And then for the final scripture, I want to turn to Jesus, probably Jesus' best friend, the Apostle John. And I want you to hear what he writes in 1 John, chapter 3. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And they are too. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be, what we will be, are you with me? Has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Now, it can be a little bit hard to talk about heaven because people have so many unbiblical images. Or, or, or they take biblical images and they take them too far, like the golden, the golden streets, right? Streets of gold in heaven. You know, that's not literal, right? I mean, I guess it could be. God could just really surprise me, I guess, when I get there. But, I mean, I don't think that it's literal. I think that what they're saying there is the most precious material on earth that we know. In heaven, we walk on it. I mean, that's how I understand the idea of streets of gold. Heaven is so much greater and better and more, worth more than, than anything in this world that all gold is good for there is making streets out of, paving streets. We want to... But we, but we want to talk about heaven because we got to get excited about heaven because heaven is incredible. Like I said, because of Easter, your future is incredible. Now, from these two passages, I want to draw two quick conclusions about what awaits us in heaven, and I hope it gets you just a little bit excited. Just start from the second, from the New Testament passage there, from 1 John. We are God's children now. You are God's children if you've put your faith in Christ. You are God's child. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was adopting you, forgiving your sins so that you could be adopted into God's family. You are like a, a, a teenager with a trust fund, right, that you can't get into yet. And it's a heck of a trust fund, right? But you can't get into it yet. Once you can, everything changes. Now, what exactly you'll be, the passage says, we don't know exactly what we'll be, but rest assured it'll be good because when Jesus appears, we will be like him, John says. And when you know when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back with a cross on his back, right? No, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back as the resurrected Jesus riding the clouds with legions of angels at his command. And he's coming back to punish evil once and for all to raise the dead, to give them new bodies, to remake the heavens, to remake the earth. This is who you will be like. That's your future. And secondly, this from the Isaiah text, once he comes back, the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. You think of a stone dropping into the water, right? And what happens? The ripples 
just go out and out and out. The return of Christ, peace and justice and perfection will ripple out throughout the cosmos forever and ever and ever, increasing and increasing forever. Try to wrap your mind around that. It makes me want to sing a Christmas song. No more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Now, what do I want you to do? Well, I want you to be excited and confident in your future Baptist leader Russell Moore, he tweeted this out this week. I want to read this to you. He said, he said this. He said, the gates of hell are torn down. Death is ripped apart. The right man is at the helm of the cosmos. And you're worried about what again? Yes, Christian, this life can be difficult. It can be a very confusing thing. I can't do anything about that for you. Jesus told you it was going to be difficult. But we need to put things in perspective. You know what your life looks like to Jesus? Put this up on the thing. This, friends, is your life. Sounds like a documentary, doesn't it? This, friends, is your life. Here, you were born. Here, you quit wearing diapers. Here, you started to walk. Here, I need something steady, don't I? Here, you graduated high school. Here, you got married. Here, you retired. You with me? This is your life. And this, actually, I ran out of screen space. This is yet to be written. The thing that we don't want to do is to make everything out to be about that. And that's what we do. Put the thing around it. We make that out to be everything, don't we? We give it way too much importance. We think that's all there is. We act, even Christians, we act like that's all there is. Now, the amazing, miraculous, mysterious thing is that God's going to use even that. That's, that blue line is really important to God. I mean, he came into that blue line to, to, to live and live and bleed and die, right? I don't know why that blue line is that important to him, but it is. So go ahead and put the, see, he's going to use that blue line somehow in the red line. I don't know how. I don't know what that looks like. But don't make the mistake of thinking that the blue line is what it's all about. But do know that God wastes nothing. And everything that's happened to you will be redeemed and used for God's glory in the red line. 